And so we built what we call internally an abstraction layer. This abstraction layer basically enables us to work with all the underlying infrastructure providers that would help us kind of launch this product. And for our customers, there's one set of universal APIs on top that basically enables them to work within kind of bond to basically build a product from beginning to end. And so developers can kind of go into our, even go into our sandbox today from not knowing anything about how to, you know, open a bank account uh, and, and, and issue a card. You could do that in 20 minutes. My name is Roy Eng, co-founder and CEO of Bond. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lampart, and today how Roy Inc. set out to create a world-class platform for you to build embedded financial services. All this and more on Code Story. Roy Ng moved to L.A. from Hong Kong when he was 10 years old, first with his mother, with his father following on a year later. His family moved to the States to build a future for him, with education and opportunity. He's a graduate of UC Berkeley, going into finance afterwards with Goldman Sachs. He eventually made his way back to Hong Kong to help Goldman with cool deals like taking Baidu public. Post-Goldman, he stepped into the startup world. His first startup sold to SAP, and he then went on to help Twilio grow and go public, followed by maturing the developer platform at Mapbox. Roy eventually connected with his college friend and now co-founder to discuss his experience at SoFi. What they realized was that developers are having to build the plumbing, so to speak, of financial products over and over again because there isn't a developer platform to enable them to focus on their end products. After some market validation at the Money 2020 conference, they set out to build this foundational platform to build banking as a service. This is the creation story of Bond. Bond is an embedded finance platform. And so the easiest analogy is to look back at other developer platforms, be it Twilio, be it AWS. You're basically enabling software developers and product builders to leverage a set of APIs on our platform to then incorporate financial services solutions inside your application. It could be a mobile app, it could be you know, a web app, but things like offering you know, your end users uh, the ability to open a bank account, to open and attach a debit card to that bank account, to open a credit card, to move money across accounts. So the three pillars that we have on our platform are accounts, which is uh, you know, the bank account opening, so that includes, you know, KYC, know your customer, or in the case of a business, KYB, know your business. Second is really around our cards platform. Our cards platform have both debit and credit, and we are the only platform today with live customers on both debit and credit. And the last piece is money movement. So this is be it ACH money movement, wires, bill pay, that is kind of how you move money. So all of these are what we call primitives. These primitive pieces enable um, any software company, you don't even need to be a fintech per se, to be able to embed financial services into the software that you already have. 
I met a friend of mine from college, Yan Wu, who was at the time the head of data science at SoFi, the fintech. And he and I were just talking about kind of the market opportunity in fintech and some of the challenges that fintechs are facing. During his time at SoFi, he saw the launch of multiple products and realized that a lot of the developers within SoFi was actually spending most of their time building infrastructure versus building the application that would engage the consumer to go use that like particular product. You know, there's this big gap in terms of having infrastructure that software developers can spend time on so that you know, company after company, developer after developer, they're not spending time building the same thing over and over again. It's almost like building the plumbing. Everybody's kind of rebuilding the plumbing every time around. And so from my perspective, this was a very ripe industry to go disrupt. There were some early innings of kind of platforms even back then when we started, but I think what we want to do is to support enterprises to be able to offer financial products. And yeah, at the same time, we saw innovations coming out from big brands like Apple. I recall like the launch of the Apple card. This is a complete Apple experience, except, you know, the, because Apple's not a bank, their back end bank is Goldman Sachs. And so Goldman Sachs was able to abstract their capabilities and enable Apple to offer um, the Apple Card product. But that was a very long engagement. You know, Apple had to build it themselves and had to find the right bank partner, find the right processors to be able to make this a reality. And so we knew that there must be a way, easier way to actually, for brands to not have to go through all of that and leverage a platform like Bond to be able to offer financial products to their end customers. Let's jump into the MVP. So that first product you built, how long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? We started the company kind of in incubation 2019, kind of like first, second quarter. And we raised our seed round around August and we started basically building an MVP. And the MVP, it was really basic. It was kind of a mock-up of kind of how our application would work how the application and the funds flow will work with our sponsor banks. So you need a bank in the back end, right? Just like in Twilio, you need a telco in the back end. How we work with the bank and how we would then offer that service to our tech companies to basically consume the service, right? And so best thing to do is actually go talk to folks. And we mocked up a bunch of kind of product like screens and funds flow, which is kind of how the bank would work with a partner like Bond. We went out to Money 2020, which is a big uh, industry event. And actually we were there for three days, just kind of back-to-back meetings with both banks and tech companies. And over and over again, you know, there was a need from the market. It was pretty obvious that the banks were looking for a way to support more fintechs, but without having to build a ton of infrastructure or rely on the fintech or the tech company build a lot of infrastructure. The fintechs and tech companies are wanting to offer financial products, but it's pretty onerous to build yourself. So there was a basically a clear gap in the marketplace. And that's how we started kind of going out there. I would say you know, that that initial prototype to getting it to money 2020 it was you know, probably three months to kind of get that out there and then once we got some feedback from the market we started really kind of building a more detailed mvp and just given how long the cycle is right if you if you were a tech company building directly with a bank it would take you a year two years to build 
And so we took probably about nine months to a year to kind of get like the basic MVP out because you need to sign up obviously the bank and your tech partners and all of that to actually make the product work. And unlike kind of like an application software company, like even my HR software company, Success Factors, you can't just kind of get out there and build because you have dependencies. And what you find in FinTech is you know, there are dependencies that you need to work with in order to you know, launch a product. And so in general, it takes a little bit more time to even get an MVP up and running. With any MVP, and it sounds like you got to this point and you started evaluating. So I think it's I think it's the perfect timing for this question. What sort of decisions and trade-offs did you have to make in the short term when building your MVP? And I'm looking for more like, you know, uh, feature cut or technical debt or anything like that. And maybe there was there was none based on the solution you're building. But tell me about some of those and how you coped with those decisions. The observation we had in talking to the market speaking with banks, speaking with tech companies on the need is that the space is extremely broad. It was really important for us to really think about which segment of customers we want to eventually focus on. And there was so much demand coming in. I remember we were still, you know, in build mode, frankly, heads down building and kind of stealth mode. And there, there was a lot of inbound interest. And frankly, like our product wasn't kind of there yet for us to really kind of take on that like early set of customers. And it really kind of made us think like where, what kind of customers we want to support just given how large the space is. And, you know, our observation is the gen, the gen one platforms that were out there. I think while they enabled new ideas quickly, we saw a gap in scaling. All of these platforms, you know, may be good for experimentation and getting, you know, uh, your first batch of customers on, but we see that a lot of their customers eventually go and build it themselves, meaning bypassing the platform. And we want to be able to support brands from the very beginning, early inception, to basically scaled out enterprise like product to the end users. And so for us was really kind of, you know, there are some earlier stage customers that we had to say no to and really kind of finding out who are some of the large companies that are innovative that want to move quickly and want to build with us. So, you know, from a product feature standpoint, we need to realize that some of these enterprises, you know, one may want more features than we have like available immediately. And so how do we prioritize like features? Second is that they oftentimes also want some help in terms of getting their initial product up and running. So, you know, we offer obviously API, so it's a bunch of Lego blocks that you could kind of build yourself. But some of these larger brands also want pre-built capabilities, meaning like, hey, here's several Lego blocks built together already. And this is the use case that you can basically offer to your customer. Uh, I'll give you an example of an early customer that, um, and the use case. Uh, it's a company called Squire. Squire basically is a software application that helps barber shops, independent barbers to basically manage their business better. And one of the things that they we work with them on is we saw a gap in the market where these barbers typically get paid every two weeks. The idea here was to how do we enable the barbers to get paid instantly? Because, you know, oftentimes barbers are trying to really make ends meet between the paychecks and some of them may take out payday loans and other things to basically bridge cash flow. And so how do we create a product with Squire that enabled them to basically pay instantly? So we created the Squire card 
if you go and check out uh, from your haircut after you're done with your haircut, the net pay plus the tip goes directly to that barber's card that's already in their pocket. So they literally can kind of walk out of the barber shop after that, that appointment, spend some of the money they earn, go back and, and keep going. And so this is a big differentiator and it's a big, it's a, it's a win-win kind of across the board because, you know, from a barber perspective, which barber does not want to get paid real time? No, no barber wants to wait two weeks. From a barber shop standpoint, having the Squire applications allowed them to attract more barbers. And from Squire's perspective, this financial product that they offer, they also make interchange from the spend off the card. It's a basically a win-win across the board. And so as we as we kind of talk to more companies in the market, we realize that there are a lot more of these type of use cases that are deeply embedded into the workflow of that particular industry. Back to your question on decisions and trade-off, I think really thinking about what are the most prominent use cases. One, I think on the product side is really around the use cases that we want to target. And the second is what segment of customers we want to target, be it the really true SMBs or really kind of like squarely kind of mid-market, a little bit mature stage or large enterprises. And, you know, we focus on kind of the later stage, um, more mature companies as our kind of core segments. There's really kind of two things. I think the, the feature kind of trade-offs that are more use case based and then also kind of customer segmentation and how we think about, you know, smaller versus kind of larger customers. Obviously, as an early stage company, we take on both, but really having our eyes on really the enterprise kind of scaled out like business models. So, okay, so from that point, then I'm, I'm going to ask about product progression, but it's really in the context of how you built your roadmap and how you decided, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. As an early stage company, you need to really take out the signal for the noise, right? Like you hear a lot from the market and you really need to kind of figure out what is relevant to you and your strategy versus not. And as a legal block kind of infrastructure company, you could kind of get pulled in multiple directions very, very quickly. For us, you know, the, the most important thing was deciding on the segments that we want to go after, the customer segments, and, and actually start building those products. The first part was really the banking product, the core banking services. So this is bank accounts, right? Being able to open a bank account in a safe and sound way, being able to move money in and out of the account, being able to then attach perhaps a debit card so people can spend off that card. These are kind of basic capabilities. Then with that, we decided to also offer a credit platform that enables people to have, for example, a credit building card. A credit building card is for people who you know, may not have credit, much like when I first moved to the States, where they could deposit a certain amount of money into the account and they could spend that money. Um, so basically, it's a secured card secured by your, your deposit. The regular payment of that card enables you to basically build credit, for example, right? And so I think how our product progresses really kind of start with the basics of what we know most, if not all of our customers will need to start and then offer additional products. I would say from a technology platform standpoint, there was also a major decision. A major decision around, do we want to be a kind of point solution versus a platform that we would integrate kind of other solutions within, right? So what we heard from our customers is that they really want a one-stop shop. They don't want to integrate with a platform, but have to go out and reintegrate or bring your own bank or integrate with another processor or integrate with other technology vendors to actually make the product work. They want to be able to have 
one universal set of APIs on the platform and be able to basically bring a product to life. And so we built what we call internally an abstraction layer. This abstraction layer basically enables us to work with all the underlying infrastructure providers that would help us kind of launch this product. And for our customers, there's one set of universal APIs on top that basically enables them to work within kind of bond to basically build a product from beginning to end. And so developers can kind of go into our, even go into our sandbox today from not knowing anything about how to, you know, open a bank account uh, and, and, and issue a card. You could do that in 20 minutes. And so we really were trying to optimize for how quickly a developer can build on our platform, how easy it is, because you know, financial service is not an easy topic. There's a lot of nuances. There are a lot of funds flow requirements, compliance requirements. And, but how do we abstract this and make it easy for the user to understand what the flows are? And I think that has been a differentiating way of how we built it and why customers kind of continue to choose Bond is because like we have everything under one roof. Let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they are the winning horses to join you? There's multiple dimensions to people, be it, you know, domain expertise, be it like stage of company. And so we really kind of take a balanced approach as we like look at team. Obviously, you know, from a culture fit standpoint, we have values that, you know, when Yen and I started the company, you know, one of the first things we did was really spend, you know, good amount of time really think about like the values of our company and what what are some of the key core uh, competencies that we want um, all of our all of our employees to have and so you know really you know we have we have six of them we call them the bond DNA right so and you know that is, is the baseline and then from a team perspective there's a combination of stage appropriateness as well as domain like relevancy and so where you generally find the most success is if you have both, right? Uh, meaning we are an early stage company. How do we attract people who are going to roll up their sleeves and build, but at the same time have some baseline level of experience in financial services or tech or FinTech to be able to kind of accelerate our build and our mission. Um, and so I think from a team perspective, I think we've done a superb job in terms of just hiring, you know, talent from across the board. Um, for example, uh, we brought on our chief product officer, Elcio Nobre, who um, had his own startup before. He worked at PayPal and Visa, and uh, he was at a fintech infrastructure company called Rapid um, before joining. He was the CPO there. And so he's just bringing a lot of some of the product discipline that we we're talking about, what, what to do and what not to build, um, and maturing kind of our product decisions. Um, for example, Ted Mao, our head of engineering, um, he was previously at Square. Um, he actually led engineering teams that built Square Payments, Square Capital, Square Financial Services. So very, very relevant to obviously what we're building. And also he saw the pain points internally at Square in building all of this kind of from scratch. And so, Having him on the team has been able to allow us to kind of see around the corners into building something that's scalable. And building fintech products is not easy. I would say building fintech product, um, 
you know, requires a lot of nuanced knowledge, both from a technology standpoint, as well as a compliance and regulatory standpoint. And so you know, both Ted and LCO brings a lot to the table from product engineering perspective. Um, one last person I'd like to highlight is um, our head of customer operations, um, Iran, Iran Karoli. Um, he was at Apto Payments and another fintech called Tipalti. And uh, he basically brought to life the first set of customers at both companies. And so, you know, as an, as an enterprise-grade platform, we need to make sure our customers are wildly successful um, as they interact with us. And so he takes on that role and has been incredibly valuable in providing feedback back to product. So I would say, you know, at a high level, how do you build your team? You look for people that are stage appropriate and have domain relevancy. Um, culturally, obviously, it needs to be aligned to you know your culture, your your cultural values, right? We have things like you know, demand transparency as one of our values. Question every assumption, debate quickly, then commit. Obviously, some some baseline things that enable us to work quickly and effectively toward our mission. And then I think there's also just kind of more of the intangible, right? Like teamwork. And you know what you realize is while you're an early stage company and you have kind of different people focusing on different kind of domain areas, they all need to work together. And, you know, from my experience, you know, things don't work out when people actually don't interface and work well with each other. They all end up working in silos versus working at one team. And, you know, something that I take a lot of pride in is both our leadership team, our team overall, really works closely together. It doesn't matter if you're an engineer or you're on like the business teams, you're working really closely together, all, all in service of really your customers and making them successful. So that's kind of some of my insights in kind of building this early team. Well, let's flip to scalability then. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or are you fighting this as you grow and, and gain traction? And I'm, and I'm curious, especially with building on, on top of a, a, or a building a banking as a service product, how, how you had to go about that. It's interesting question for fintech, right? Because a lot of people say, well, you know, all about the MVP, build quickly, build stuff that can't scale. And then, and then kind of build out the infrastructure, basically scale out later. I think in the space of financial services and infrastructure, there may be certain things you could build out as a more MVP, like more of the kind of maybe the UI layer. Some of it can be like a little bit more basic, so to speak. But I think the infrastructure has to be designed somewhat to be scalable from the early beginning. Um, and so, you know, I think this is one of those industries where you know, it, it does take a little bit more time to kind of build it out correctly, but I think it's um, it's pretty important um, to do so because you wouldn't be able to. I mean, there's not really a lot of shortcuts you could do. I think on the on the, especially in the fintech infrastructure side, um, there are certain things you could kind of get a get a beta out there and get tested, but a lot of things around money flows and opening bank accounts and compliance. You can't really shortcut because that's a we're we're in a regulated industry, and so I would say, you know, it's a it's a really interesting balance, right? And you know, we have a phenomenal chief compliance officer that kind of works with us as we're thinking about, well, is this good enough to kind of go out, get out there um, as as a V1 versus hey, we need to kind of build out these kind of safeguards before we actually share it with our customers. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? 
You know, the one thing I'm most proud of is um, the, the customer implementations, right? Customer implementations where rubber really hits the road. Do, do your customers enjoy and like the product that you know they built on you, and whether it's impactful to the end users? And um, you know, we were fortunate. You know, that Squire example I talked about the barbershop software. You know, we won uh, from Terasheet the best embedded finance implementation in the industry for for that particular use case. And so I'm really proud of not only our team here, but really around a lot of the innovators that are building on our platform that are like truly kind of using the Lego blocks and the tools we have to basically bring more value add to the end customers. And so you know, having a platform that enables someone else to do great things to me is is something I'm most proud of. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. We were thinking about build versus buy across the board, right? To to kind of get to market early, you tend to see well if the market there are good solutions out there that you don't have to build, you could probably get an MVP out there quicker than you building it yourself. And so we decided on you know a number of different vendors,、um, and we decided on a vendor that probably we should have built ourselves. I would say, you know, the vendor was a large, recognizable name, and you know, we thought this was a good way to kind of get our get our product out to the market early. But、um, very quickly, you know, post our integration with that vendor, we realized you know, there are some issues there. I don't think the product is as baked as we expected it to be, and there were impact to the customers as well. And so. We quickly kind of diagnosed what the issue is, looked at all of our alternatives, and decided to build a direct integration with the bank,、uh, the, the bank partners、um, for this particular capability. And obviously, since then we're we're no longer with that vendor for that particular capability. But you know, for me, the lesson there is, you know, don't just kind of look at that vendor from like how big they are, you know, what their valuation is.、Um, really, kind of make sure that you know before you. You select that vendor, like spend a little bit more time, kind of digging in、uh, to the product, doing more kind of deeper integrations before we decide to kind of go with them. Because, you know, in some ways, it's it's it's、um, from a time perspective, is 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 costly because you spend all this time integrating with this vendor when you could have just used that time to directly work on the direct integration、um, itself. And so. I think、uh, that's a big lesson learned for us. So every time now, as we're thinking about well, build versus buy, what are some of the things that we want to build ourselves and we believe is, you know, core to our product versus you know some of the other things that you know we could use a best in best of breed like vendor to go support. So for Bond, what does the future look like for the product and for your team, for your company, all the above? I love the space we're in. I just get more excited every day, working with this team, working with our customers. Our customers are doing some really interesting things to basically help, you know, people. For example, we're working with a customer to help them help their end users more quickly pay down debts through a product offering that we're working with them on. Uh, I talked about the hospital group、um, with 60 hospitals underneath. How do we streamline their、um, uh, uh, T&E process through、uh, um, a product that we're going to be building with them? And so I just feel like this space of embedded finance slash banking as a service is rapidly growing, 
And it's not just kind of in the realm of kind of smaller innovators kind of looking to kind of build a fintech or a neobank to kind of launch a product and get up and running, but there's a tidal wave of larger organizations or later stage organizations that realize by incorporating a financial services product into your existing product set, it could drive a lot of synergies in your product and drive a lot of value to your end customers. So the the future of our product, you know, we're going to continue to focus on enterprise use cases that are of value to the enterprises and the end users. We're going to continue to focus on credit. Um, we have the basic building blocks now on the banking uh, side, but really on the credit side, there's a lot of opportunities there. In fact, we are having a hackathon this week internally, and there's a lot of interesting kind of credit-related um, uh, ideas that you know our team is actually um, uh, thinking about. And so we're really excited about that. And we want to be the de facto platform when people think about well, I'm a software company. I don't know anything about financial services. Where did I go? I go to Bond because here you have you know all the documentation as well as you know the the guides that's needed for you to quickly and compliantly launch a financial product to your end users to drive like you know drive more value to your end customers. And in the end, it's you know we want to enable our customers to be able to retain their customers better because it's all about relationships. I'll give you one one interesting anecdote uh, we were talking to a um, sports gear manufacturer so this is a company that most everybody on earth will recognize this uh, uh, this name's this name um, we spoke to the company's CFO and for them it's less about kind of making a lot of money off the financial product they have an app already with uh, a lot of their users their fitness and things like that are tracked in that app and for them, it's not about just kind of making more money and additional like monetary like uh, avenue, which it is, but it's really about the data you collect. You now start understanding the spend behavior of your most loyal fans, your loyal customers. And with that, you can kind of become more of an ecosystem play for your end users than just like, oh, I know this brand, I wear your sneakers all the time, I buy like basketballs made by you guys. And so for them, it's all about kind of be, being, it, it's, a, it's a total experience. Banking products have a, have a way of, when deployed correctly, really drive a total experience for like the end user. And, um, and so, you know, I, I, I'm really, really excited about like more and more tech companies or non-tech companies really kind of looking at embedding financial services as part of their broader offering. And we at Bond make it very simple for them to be able, be able to do so. Well, Roy, who influences the way that you work? Name a, a CEO, an architect, a you know, a technologist, really any person that you look up to and why. There's not really one person per se. I would say the way I work is it's, it's a little bit of a combination of my background on the banking side, which taught me you know, discipline, attention to detail, get things done. To my first uh, founder CEO, um, Lars at Success Factors, who really taught me kind of the criticality of commercial rigor, um, driving customer adoption, customer centricity, um, and you know, sales and growth basically heals all all things. And so, growing the company is the single most important thing. 
um, to Jeff at Twilio where just a deep appreciation of the developer persona, um, how you can't just sell and market to developers, but you need to really earn their trust through you know, documentation, through you know, developer engagement and just being, you know, giving them the tools to basically help them get their work done quickly and being an advocate of the developer. I think historically developers were not viewed as pockets of, you know, where, where they could spend money, nor are they where they kind of quote unquote decision makers. And so, you know, it, it's the, the industry has shown that developers have a major, major say in the technology direction of companies. And so being able to speak their language, being able to provide, you know, documentation, APIs that are elegantly built and simple for them to deploy is it's super important. And I mentioned earlier, you know, the you know, being able to kind of get up and running in 20 minutes um, versus like weeks and months, um, it's, 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 it's a major difference. Um, and then, yeah, so I would say like all, all of these people that I've worked with in the past all kind of influenced me in one small way or another um, toward kind of how I view this business, both on the technology side as well as the go-to-market side. Well, we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? Because the space is so broad, you know, I would probably even hyper segment ourselves into the customers that we want to serve first, because I think the reality is we serve customers big and small today. And for the larger ones, it's really interesting. For the smaller ones, it helps us kind of validate like the product and gives gives us a lot of feedback on the product. But if I were to kind of go back to the very, very beginning, I would say, you know, narrow our focus more. Like even in a space where the opportunity seems endless and there's a lot of kind of revenue potential across the board, like picking an area early and trying it out and then if if maybe that segment is maybe not as profitable or you know less demand then you could kind of pivot versus kind of going a little broad and i think you know when we started the company because the space was so broad i think we decided to go broad um but i think if i were to do that differently probably i would start a little bit more narrow um and go from there but you know i, I think everybody probably when, as they start companies, they, they go back and they think about it. Well, you know, I should focus on that segment a little bit more. And maybe this other segment, it's kind of like hindsight 2020, so to speak, right? At that point, it's like, well, yeah, these are all very exciting categories that we need to like, you know, have uh, an in into, so to speak, right? So, um, but I, if I were to start over again, I would know like some of these industries or, or segments may take too long to kind of mature or you know adopt and so probably deprioritize those and really focus on you know two to three that are like the most core well last question roy so you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing they're jazzed about it they can't wait to show it off to the world can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane what advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit well firstly awesome that you got like a product up and running and now you're like kind of sharing it with like the world you know stay focused i think similar to kind of what i was saying like when you 
when you're starting a company, obviously your ambitions, your ambitions and your your goals and the market opportunity is huge. It's almost think big, execute kind of narrowly and in a focused way, right? So while I think your ambition, that next big thing that entrepreneur is thinking about over the course of the next 12, 24, 36 months is going to be massive, how do you stay focused and scope it down when you're kind of doing your execution now? So, okay, great. Now you have the next big thing. What is step one that you got to do? Step two that you got to do? Step three you got to do? And stay really focused about it. Because, you know, I remember one of my early mentors told me, Ideas are a dime a dozen. It is really execution that makes the difference. And so, you know, be it you yourself as the entrepreneur executing or basically hiring the right people to basically help you execute um, your idea. I think that's going to be like the, 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 the key. And so, you know, stay focused. Um, keep obviously keep in mind that the market opportunity is really big and there's a broad there's, there's broad applicability out there for your next big thing, but really kind of focus on immediate steps. It's, you know, someone told me once, like, you know, as an entrepreneur, think about like things that are one, two years out, but then really day to day, think about what you can do next week, the next week, the next week. It's kind of this middle area is less relevant. It's really around kind of the immediate and the kind of longer term and the longer term is really your North Star. Um, and then I think on the hiring people, the advice I would give is, you know, make sure you hire people, you know, that are, you know, stage appropriate, right? Like depending on like where you are in the company and then hire people to the extent they have, you know, some of your domain experience. I think that could be helpful, but mostly really from a cultural standpoint, people who are not afraid of making mistakes and are willing to take calculated risks with you as you're kind of thinking about how to really get this next big thing into the market. That's great advice. Roy, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Bond. Thank you, Noah. Appreciate the time. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money.